of your faith. I mean, why do you believe what you believe? The word of the living God. All scripture is theodistos. It is God. I'll tell you what's disrespectful. Saying God has to provide many ways when in his son he gave his life on Calvary's tree to provide the one perfect. Give us some men who know the truth. And welcome to another episode of Eyes Open Ministry Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts today, John Pruitt, and today I'm joined by Lee Gullage, Clay Garrison, and Will Lewis. And today we're going to be kind of rounding out our first series uh, for Eyes Open Ministry podcast on the attributes of God. Um, and today we're going to finish it out with the sovereignty of God. We would encourage you to go back and listen to previous episodes because uh, this kind of leads up to that, all the ones that we've previously done. So, But you can listen to this one as well on its own in, in its entirety and then go back and listen to the other ones. And then I'll hope you know, make it a little bit more sense to you. But uh, we anyway, grab your Bibles, get ready to turn some pages, and we're going to go through God's Word together. So where we're going after this, I'm not exactly sure. We're probably going to cover some actual doctrinal teachings in the future. God knows. God knows. <laughs> <laughs> but that's kind of the plans for right now. Uh, so stay tuned. We all... You know, it's going to be a little bit slower releasing some materials late as of late because uh, all of us are going through different times in our in our lives right now. <laughs> so uh, we may not be able to get together as often as we like, but we're going to do our best to keep releasing content to you guys. So anyway, a quick plug. Check out our website, eyesopenministries.org. There you can find blog content, uh, other podcasts that we do. Uh, God's Mad Men is another podcast we host. So check that out. Um, we got a Bible studies tool site and stuff. I don't know. I guess links to everything to help yeah. you study God's word a little bit deeper. Um, so check all that stuff out. Leave us some reviews. We're on social media, Facebook and Instagram. Follow our content. Uh, leave us some good reviews on the, the podcast stuff or bad reviews, however you feel. Mm -hmm. um, and help us spread the word. We greatly appreciate it. All right. So. God's sovereignty. Let's start off with a quote. Will, how about you cover that one for us? I mean, it was your baby. <laughs> this is my baby. Your baby. <laughs> Here it is. All right, it's from Abraham Kuyper, who was a reformed theologian, politician back in the around, around, around 1900 in, um, in the Netherlands. He was also a, the prime minister of the Netherlands, so he's a pretty amazing guy. But here's the quote. It gets tossed around a lot in these kind of discussions but there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which christ who is sovereign over all does not cry mine and so what he's saying there is basically just that 
you know, we when we say God is sovereign, and we affirm that for Christ as well, that Christ is is sovereign, but He's not relinquished His sovereignty to, you know, in total in any area. Everything is is still His. He still claims it. He's 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 um He's sovereign, and He means to maintain that sovereignty over every particle that exists in creation. Oh, yeah, that's, and that sovereignty isn't just a, a namesake or just to say, well, he's in control, mm-hmm. but it actually has meaning and there's implications to that. Yeah. I think a good point bouncing off a of copper with being a politician also is you can't approach the subject of God's sovereignty, looking at it from a, um, like America is a, we claim to be a sovereign nation, right? And, and on the earth, we could say that we are, but that's not in the same ballpark with God's sovereignty because um, if we if America was to do whatever, there's going to be like Clay said implications of there's going to be an impact that if we attack another nation, they could attack us not or attack us back or not. But in God's sovereignty, it, he is he is there's no effect to what he does, no side of I mean, no effect on him as of his actions. Right. Yes. I think that's what Kuiper's getting at there is not is you know when we talk about sovereignty in every other respect, there's has to be a context to that. Like you know, man is sovereign in his own home. That doesn't mean he can murder his wife and children. Exactly. He's still accountable to a higher sovereignty and and America's the same, but but Christ is where it stops. He is not sovereign here. He he's sovereign and not accountable to anyone else. He is completely sovereign in every regard. Right. Excellent. So that that's something that uh You know, the the amazing thing about this uh, attribute is, and, and, you know, most Christians would agree with all the attributes in some sense, but uh, everyone would say they agree that God is sovereign. Right. But there's different meanings behind that sovereignty. From a, As you go from denomination to denomination, from ideology to ideology to theology to theology. Mm-hmm. Everyone has a theology and everybody has a different concept of what this means when it comes to God's sovereignty. Um so we're going to be taking a strictly biblical approach to it today. <laughs> but, you know, more traditionally known as uh, Reformed theology. But uh, more <laughs> but it's uh, but it is coming from a literal biblical perspective of right. what that is. So when we're talking about God's sovereignty, you know, we often we often hear about God in nature, you know, that, uh, for instance, when the coronavirus hit last year, did it cause you to worry or stress? You know, what, what was the, what was going through your mind? I remember with me, I felt definitely, I was like, well, you know, God is sovereign and in control mm-hmm. and, uh, I'm going to trust in him. And to me, there's a piece that comes about from that, that right. most people would not get. Um, and that was for me personally, but that, yeah. that's just how I felt in that scenario is, is if you put your trust in the one who is sovereign, if you got a total, I ain't going to say I, I understand God completely, but right. if you understand God to that capacity of knowing that you can trust in him, there's a peace that comes with that that can't be offered otherwise. Yeah, I think with our backgrounds, me and John could say, I think we come from the same point of view that it's a total change in your mindset to to come to a better understanding of the sovereignty of God. Mm-hmm. Is, you can't just take a deep breath and say, well, you know, hey, I trust it. So, yeah, yeah. You know, you often hear about the phrase, uh, it's an act of God anytime there's a natural disaster like a hurricane or a flood or anything like that. And in, in doing so, we're saying that God is in control of those events. We see in the Bible where, you know, Jesus 
commanded the wind and the waves. And we see yeah. when, when uh, God calls certain calamities and things that happen uh, in the scriptures. Um, so we, we can say the same thing about God in this pandemic. We can say that God caused the coronavirus. You know, it, it, is it wrong to blame God for this? Mm -hmm. You know, that's air quotes, air quotes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's a good, it's a good practical theology test. You know, whenever, cause I know when it first came out, you know, we didn't know what was going on. We had, we actually had a, a baby at right at, right when, you know, last March when coronavirus mm -hmm. was hitting. And I know it was, there was some times where we were getting kind of stressed out. I know my wife was stressed <laughs> out for a while and it's a good test of your theology. Cause you know what, how you act is what you really believe you, yeah. regardless of what you claim. Yeah. So you can say, yeah, I trust God's sovereignty, but if there's a, some kind of natural thing going on and you're stressing out, you just don't know what to do. You know, you're worried how it's going to happen. That, that reveals that you really don't think God is sovereign. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a good way for us to check our own, you know, you know, a good tree bears good fruit, bad tree, bad fruit. Not that if you don't believe God's sovereign, you're not a Christian, but it just, how we live reveals how we actually believe on the inside. So it's a good way to check yourself yeah. whenever you find yourself fretting over things to the point that you don't, you know, you're really worried that, oh my goodness, then, Check, make sure you are trusting that God knows what's best and is doing it. Yeah, and I had somebody recently this past week tell me, you know, that 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 old saying, God won't put on you more than you can handle. And I was like, well, somebody should tell Job that. Yeah, exactly. Because, um, <laughs> you know, you see that, that number one, that passage is nowhere in the scriptures. That right. is a totally, that's taking something out of context or either just ignorantly said. Yeah. Um, but it, it, you look at Job in the Bible, after losing 10 of his children to a natural disaster, he can only bow to God's will and say, you know, in Job 1, 21, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's right. Um, so uh, Job understood God is sovereign. God is in control and nothing happens outside of his will. Um, so that's important for us to understand. And, and I, I think that's a narrative that is lost today in the in majority of churches. Yeah especially here in the West That's um, right. when it comes to the sovereignty of God. If you think about the, um, the, a lot of the writings of the old Testament and compared, like you said to today's church, um, I had an example of Psalm 71 20. You have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. And will revive me again from the depths of the earth you will bring me up again. And if you, you listen to the way, and I read a lot in um, Exodus, Deuteronomy at that time of the Exodus, a lot of the thinking, it was just automatically assumed good or bad. God did it, you know? And so you hear, have here, David, I imagine he, uh, God made him to see many troubles and, and, you know, he wasn't fighting against that. He was just accepting as, as, as God being sovereign. Um, another one was Jonah two, three, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas and the flood surrounded me all of your waves and your billows passed over me um and then so they say oh yeah well that was old testament that's of course that was so and i thought about john 10 10 the thief comes only to steal kill and destroy i came that you may have life and have it abundantly and they get in their minds i think we a lot of times we get in our minds that jesus was all nice and all good you know completely different from the Old Testament God. I don't. I don't know how that works out in people's minds that he was different. But um, in the context, what Jesus was saying, he was not talking about trying to attribute everything bad to Satan. So we do that a lot. If it's a good thing, 
God did. If it was a bad thing in our minds, if it was bad to us, God, Satan did it. But but what it, he was dis- distinguishing himself from the false shepherds at the time. Mm-hmm. So the mindset, if you just read the Bible, you know, face value, read the way people wrote from the way they thought, that that is just assumed that God was the sovereign, that he did good and bad uh, circumstances. Yeah, I think it's, it's easy to read over some of that stuff and just be like, yeah, well, God, God yeah. sovereign. But, you know, you think back to the, <laughs> yeah. to the context of it and think about, you know, try to put yourself in that place. You know, Job had just lost, yeah. you know, a, a ten of his children and everything he owned. And then he's just, well, bless the Lord. Right, you know? right, right. Think about how you would actually be, respond. Think about what kind of trust and submission and right. trust in God that actually takes. Because, I mean, that, anybody that's a parent, that, that's tough to even imagine yeah. being able to just bow down and bless the Lord after your children just died. Right. And if you go back to start, go back and read through Job 1 again, um, I remember when it dawned on me, like, wait a minute, uh, Satan didn't come to God walking to and fro on the earth and present himself as sons of man and say, hey, can I go get Job? No, he just showed up as, as I guess, a um, time frame he was supposed to check in or something. But God <laughs> he, God initiated this thing. If you go back and read it, God initiated. Have you considered my servant exactly Job? Exactly. Right. Yeah. It, it was not, you know, it was, a, if, if we stick to the text, it was not on Satan's mind. I got to get this guy, you know, right. he just showed up. Another, he just happened to walk in on the wrong board meeting one day. And <laughs> Another thing to look at that is a lot of times we read the story about Job and we say, well, God just allowed Satan to do yeah, that exactly. and gave him permission. He not only gave him permission, but in chapter two, verse three, when, you know, the second time that, you know, uh, Satan comes before the Lord uh, the, the Lord says this, uh, verse three, it says, and the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? So he asked him again, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. So it's like God is saying to Satan that you incited me against him. Obviously God's in control the whole time. Satan doesn't have control over him, but mm. you know, not only does Job attribute what happened to God ultimately, but God is saying, yes, I'm the one who brought this about. It's not, you know, entirely, mm. you know, I didn't relinquish control to Satan for a while for him to do whatever. It's, mm. He's maintained control. And also God set the parameters on it. It, it. That's how sovereign he is. Yes, you can attack him, but you can't do this. You can do that. It's, you know, the, the whole the whole ordeal was um, set up by God. And There's a, there's a view within Christianity, I think, Um with some of your more charismatic churches, especially, is that God and Satan are two opposites, and they're they're yeah. they're of equal power, and Duelist. they're just yeah. it's a battle between good and evil, you know. <laughs> and it's and then they play the what was that song where they're boxing each other and stuff, and it's like a I forget now, yeah, you know what I'm talking Carmen. about. The, yeah, the Carmen <laughs> stuff where they're fighting and all this. It's like no, God rest his soul. Uh, you know, there's an excellent book by uh, Lutzer. Was it Edward, yeah. Edward Lewis or something? And he's he's a moody guy and uh called God's Devil. Mm-hmm. And that was a really excellent read for me to help really? me understand uh God's sovereignty in a sense. And we're gonna get we're we're jumping ahead of ourselves somewhat. <laughs> um so what do we mean when we say God is sovereign? Let's give us a, let's get some type of clear definition out here uh from a biblical perspective of what sovereign means. I guess first off is, is his lordship. I mean, that's the first characteristic we see with sovereignty. Um, and, you know, you can think about lordship in this way is that God reigns and rules and governs his creation. So that 
goes totally against if you're familiar with like the idea of a deist who where you know you've got God who creates everything and then just lets its you know all the mechanisms just go and he's hands off that's yeah. not the God of the Bible it's not the God of Christianity uh, because God reigns and rules and governs his creation and uh, just a scripture to look at uh, you know uses images of God as a king on his throne and one of those verses is uh, Philippians 2 9 through 11. And that, and that says this, Therefore God has highly exalted him, talking about Christ, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So that Lord isn't just, you know, his nickname that we call him. Yeah. You know, lots, you know, we use the name Lord so much talking about God, talking about Christ, that it, it's almost like that's his nickname. Mm-hmm. Almost like whenever we say Jesus Christ, we act like Christ is just his last name. Like, oh, that's it's saying something about him. Mm-hmm. And whenever we call God Lord, we're saying that he has the right to rule and reign over every bit of the creation that he's created. And another verse is Psalm uh, 47, 8. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. So there's nothing Amen. that's outside the rule of God who's the creator. Well, you got to imagine the, the people in biblical times understood this. That's right. You know, we, we in our modern culture today, we don't totally get sorry, right. um, especially in America. I think especially. maybe some people in, in Britain and other countries where there are still kings and queens and stuff like that mm-hmm. may have a better understanding of it than the, uh, those of us here in the, in the States, especially. Mm-hmm. But uh, the, when you think of it, and back in those days, a king – Pretty much did whatever he wanted. Exactly right. You know, nowadays a king can't get away with murder, but back then a king could get away with yeah. murder because he was the guy who did whatever. You know, uh, and, and there's exceptions to the rule and different examples and stuff like that. But people back then truly understood what it meant that God is sovereign, and I, I've always thought of that in, in the back of my head. That just right. helped me put that in perspective. Yeah. yeah, I think the whole concept of lordship. I know whenever I was first converted after living, you know, most of my life as an unbeliever is that, you know, lordship. It, it hit me whenever I started saying, you know, Jesus is Lord. It hit me that this is this means that, you know, completely sub, complete submission to another person. Yeah. And I'm, so it hit me hard. And I think it's just a part of our individualistic age mm. and our emphasis on, you know, our own rights and all that. But, you know, you, it's almost like a sense that you don't have those rights anymore. You're relinquishing all of those rights for his use, you know. So it's a, it's a whole different ballpark of belief than we're raised nowadays. People rely way more on our constitution than on God's word. Dun, 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 well. dun. I just want to point out something, Clay, in this verse back here. It says, name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Doesn't mean they will bow. <laughs> <laughs> not, just kidding. Maybe Clay. not right now. <laughs> yet. They will. Yet. All right. So now. Now we talk about God's sovereignty when it comes to his power. So let's think about that. We've, we've kind of talked about this in some previous episodes about God's God is uh, all powerful. He, he's omnipotent. He's possessing power over all and therefore does whatever he pleases whenever he pleases Psalms 115 and three. Uh, so elaborate on that. Guys. <laughs> elaborate on that. <laughs> well, my, my first, brain. my first thought was when Jesus and the disciples, when Jesus calmed the storm, uh, and, and here again, these were Jews who their whole life had been instilled with the scriptures, right? 
con- you know, different than we Americans, but they they knew all the Psalms about God controlling the wind and and all of this. So when Jesus speaks and controls the storm, they were more afraid after that than they were. They woke him up because they were afraid of the storm. Mm-hmm. But when he spoke a word and and the storm obeyed him, they were more concerned, more more afraid after the fact. So that power was on display like you know never before yeah. in those guys in those guys lives that day yeah it's almost like they've done they did like we do you know they read it and like okay yeah, yeah. God, god can do whatever he wants to yeah. and then when they saw it exactly. they're like oh yeah. man, a, a reverential is, fear is that, is that this correct? is kind of serious he can do whatever he wants to do yeah i think something else to see and I, some of this comes from uh john frames uh lordship theology series and stuff he when he's talking about lordship he kind of has you know his whole weird three perspective stuff going on but you know he talks about authority power and control so we kind of have that same dynamic going on here but you know if if let's say god obviously this isn't a hypothetical he is in control but if, if god is lord and he has that place if he's lord but he doesn't have power then he can't enforce you know his will you know yeah. there's yeah. He, it, it can't be accomplished so the the him being omnipotent having all power is necessary if he's going to accomplish his will if he's actually going to be sovereign that's why you know all these are tied together we have you know lordship power and control if all three of those aren't present then almost like you know one of them is no good without the others and they're yeah. all connected you can't yeah. You, know, yeah you need all three for it to actually function which i guess takes us into control <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and like Proverbs sixteen and nine says, uh, "The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps." So oh, well, that's Old Testament. All right. Well, James four, <laughs> thirteen through seventeen says, "Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such as such a place or town and spend the year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are." a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, but all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is a sin. Mm -hmm. So we we see here, we have scriptural references that really shows us God's, and we've got plenty of other scriptures Mm -hmm. as well. But all of them, yeah, all, all of them, <laughs> right? Yeah. So this yeah. kind of brings us up. We see that how does this sovereignty work? Yeah, he's he's in control. He's got all power. He is the Lord. So how does God's sovereignty work when it comes into creation? When it comes into everyday lives? When it comes to my personal life and the person listening to this, what while they're driving, while they're sitting in their chair, whatever they're doing right now, how is God? working out his sovereignty at this moment. That's because it seems like, you know, from those two verses that we just that we just read, the Proverbs and James, that there's kind of two realities that are going on at the same time right. that you kind of have to, I don't want to say balance, but understand together. Because you've got, you know, Proverbs 16, 9 is a short one we can read just to say it. The heart, of a, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So there's a sense in which man makes plans mm-hmm. and, and chooses to do things but yet behind it all, God is the one establishing his steps and right. God is the one who is, you know, orchestrating history. So well, how do these two things hang together? And I guess that's what would bring us into this next part and how God's sovereignty works. There's um, my had a pastor in Charlotte and he would make the point so much that as you go on in life, 
like age wise, as you get older in life, you really start to realize that this was not my plan. You know, I had so you may have different dreams or how in the world because he would he would use a illustration how in the world did I end up in Charlotte, North Carolina, you know, and, and I kind of felt that way, too, when I was living there. But um, and you think about I was just going to say, you know, we got younger families here um, thinking about make having a family, making a family. You you can say you can talk to your wife and say wife and say, you know, let's start a family. But God's in the background of it, in the, in control of the, you know, when, the where, all of that kind of stuff. But y'all can make plans based on God's word, of course. And but he's going to he's going to uh, fulfill it. Yeah. It's like Eisenhower, uh, one of my favorite quotes. <laughs> he said, plans are useless, but absolutely necessary. Exactly. Right. And, and it's, uh, you know, it's like every day I go to work and I plan. I got a schedule. Uh, you know, I plan it out a certain way. But it never goes according to That's plan, right. and uh, things happen for whatever reason That's they, right. that they happen, you know. And and it's been remarkable, and everybody can reflect back and think of those incidents in their life. Yeah. And the way I, the way my mind works, I think of a pinball machine. You know, we're we're the ball inside the pinball machine, mm-hmm. but there's obstructions, there's things, there's in, stuff inside of that's going that's going to determine the trajectory right. of the ball, right? And it's going to hit in those places, but. The ball doesn't know where it's going to hit. It just knows if I oh, there's a wall, and now I'm going back this way. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, and that's kind of that's the way I picture it in my mind. All right, so when we're talking about this, God's will and His decree is pretty much how we get into the works of what God does. Um, his will refers to His desires and divine decisions. So, what what do we mean by God's decrees? Yeah, I think his decrees are kind of how it actually how we have to look at it to see how he implements his will. If his if his will is just his desire, what he wants or what pleases him, you know, what's his nature is, what um the eternal plans of God's of God whereby before the creation of the world he determined to bring about everything that happens. So that's his decree is where he kind of puts his will into place. Um, you know, you could look at his decrees a little different ways but it's essentially that everything we believe everything that comes to pass was decreed by god before you know before creation before anything before anything other than god existed yeah so if you're got your bible handy and you're not doing something that you shouldn't be reading the bible while you're driving or something (laughs) like that grab it and actually turn to ephesians chapter one but if you're gonna go reading the bible is the way to do it yeah (laughs) so uh you know just get a chance to to give you a chance to get there go to ephesians one i want the listeners to really consider this text as well it's a very important text and really you got to read all of ephesians one but ephesians one and verse 11 says also we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose who works all things after the counsel of his will John, what does all things mean? All means all. <laughs> Let's see. The, yeah, the Greek, the Greek of the word "all" there means. Uh, I don't know like where this is headed. <laughs> Greek chick. <laughs> so, pan. And, 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 and I would encourage you to read it. Mark that spot in your Bible. Go back, read that whole chapter there. You see it throughout the scriptures, but you see it here, and it's amazing once you understand this. And like I'm, right now, I'm going through Second Chronicles, and I'm 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 reading. Uh, through that in the Psalms and everything, and it's like every day, just about it. I'm seeing this reflected mm-hmm. in the text, and it's just amazing. Um, 
that's that's like I mean one of the prime texts that people look at talking about God's sovereignty is uh, you know in Genesis you know when Joseph is you know brothers are mad or you know upset worried that Joseph's going to take revenge on him after Jacob dies mm-hmm. you know for all the evil things that they did to him and you know the brothers are basically trying to suck up to him to make him happy and he's like look. He's like, what you did was evil. Mm. Yeah, this is a summarized version. What, yeah. what you did Message. was evil, but God meant it for good. God orchestrated these things, you know, for for our good ultimately. Because right. you go back to this, you know, God's will and His decree. God's will was for Israel to be in Egypt That's because right. God was going to deliver them out of Egypt to showcase mm-hmm. His glory to the world. And in order to accomplish that will, He decreed that Joseph be you know, thrown in a pit by his brothers, sold to these traitors, mm-hmm. taken down to Egypt, be seduced by Potiphar's wife. You know, all of these things that we see in the latter part of Genesis is all of God's decree, how that was played out in order to accomplish his will, which was to have Israel in Egypt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's the domino effect in a sense. It's like everything has to piece together in order to end the way it's supposed to end. And every Christian believe has has some form of their opinion of the end times. Yeah. And if you believe how it ends in Revelation that with the last word, amen, then God has already established how it's going to end. Mm-hmm. So therefore, the dominoes have to follow the effect. The same way it did with this case in the Old Testament of getting Israel where God needed them to be. Yeah. What do you think it has to happen with the church? For the church to end up where it needs to be, mm-hmm. the dominoes have to fall into pieces there. If 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 one piece is removed, then it's not going to turn out the way it's supposed to. It's, right. the, it's like the butterfly effect. You, you, the time travel movies right, are significant. Right. If Marty McFly didn't do what he did, right. <laughs> if, if one thing, you know, if his mother fell in love with him, yeah, 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 yeah. then him and his father, then him and his sister started erasing out of the picture, right? Mm-hmm. So it, All right, quick break. I uh, just want to mention to you again, uh, check out our website, eyesopenministries.org. Uh, there you can find resources to help you study God's Word, blog content, links to our uh, social media accounts. Um, you can also check out our other podcast, God's Mad Men. Um, and also, we are brought this, I don't want to say brought to you by, but we're, we're partnered with Cornerstone Baptist Church of Hartsville. So check that out at cbcheartsville.com. South Carolina. Yeah, Hartsville, South Carolina, which I wonder how many Hartsvilles there is in there. Probably a lot of them. Probably. Probably. Anyway, all right. So back to the conversation. Okay, so that just brings us to the eternal purpose of God. Aside of time travel and the significance of it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> on a future episode. On a future episode, we'll cover that. <clears throat> but anyway, so God is sovereign. God is in control. He is total Lord of everything. He, there is, in a sense, so being he is in control and all, that's not arbitrary or random because he isn't arbitrary or random, right? Um, again, you got to come back. If God is all powerful, all knowing, and in every place and everywhere and all the time of eternity, there. See, there's a, the the time reference again. Mm. But there's <laughs> there's hold, hold there's significance back. behind God's attributes that brings about in His sovereignty. Um, that His sovereignty connects with every other attribute that we talked about so mm-hmm. far. Um, if He ceases to be God in any capacity of those attributes, then He is not sovereign. Right. Right. 
Yeah, I think his, you know, his purpose, it ties, you know, understanding his decrees can get off basis if you separate it and don't have it connected tightly to who he is and his character. Because his purpose, you know, he said it's not arbitrary. You know, even in that verse we just read of Isaiah 46.10, it talks about his purpose. He'll bring his purpose to, to pass. Mm -hmm. So his purposes aren't arbitrary and changing and reacting. It's that he's had the purpose mainly, you know, central to the scriptures at least, is Christ and his um, eventual reign overall, and especially on the cross. But he, he had that purpose from the beginning, and he was bringing it about through these decrees. So his decrees are kind of like the application of his, pers of, of his purpose, which is the outworking of who he is. You know, he's, he's all-knowing, so his decrees don't lack any kind of un understanding or information about what's coming to pass. Right, and that's why we can't base our theology on our, on our feelings because I know this sounds random, but we can't base it on our feelings because if we look at the things that go on in our life, we'll feel like, well, it seems like everything's pretty arbitrary and random to me. You know, mm -hmm. just, you know, every day something just, you know, random have, or, or some days are just routine and same old thing, same old thing. Like right. how is all of this a part of some decree? But that's why we have to look at his word and see what his word has to say. And we, you know, we see from that, that he has a purpose, he has a will. And part of the reason it might look arbitrary and random is because of how, small we are and yeah. how you know tiny we are compared to god's grand scheme of things and mm -hmm. i'll challenge you you know just as a personal exercise to look back in your life and think about how you are how you're at that's a weird way of word <laughs> how you are where you are right now right. you know how did you get here and right. think about the random thing things that you thought were random at the time that led you to be where you are today because i can think of numerous things in my life such as just walking across a dorm to meet somebody that I had never known before who ended up connecting me to my now father-in-law that I would have never met. So I never would have gotten married if I wouldn't just mm -hmm. walked across the way because they were playing a certain song that I liked in their dorm. Oh, that, that seems, that was sweet. Yeah. Yeah. That seems <laughs> arbitrary, but now it, you know, everything, in, you know, everything in the world mm -hmm. based on that one arbitrary random thing, that would yeah. be something I've challenged you to do. And th this is why studying God, the, the idea it brings us, to comfort um it comforts us but it brings us to comfort knowing that it's not about us it's about someone else outside of us far beyond us the one thing that every human needs is some a savior outside of yourself because you can't do it on your own so all that being said of course there are some objections to what we're saying here today there's uh some disagreement within the church itself some implications of God's sovereignty that those um, who would disagree with us would say, well, what about this or what about that? What's, what's some of the things that we can discuss in that? Anybody? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think um, one, one just to kind of set the context is, yeah. you know, most 99% of Orthodox Christians will say, yeah, God's sovereign. And so it's not necessarily like trying to frame it as, yeah, we believe he's sovereign y'all don't though I think that's probably true. Mm. It's not going to be the most helpful because you're, you have to understand there's a different understanding of sovereignty in, involved. So trying to get past that to where you actually understand what their idea of sovereignty Battle is. Battle of definitions. Is, yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. Ultimately, you know, that's where most debates in, or, um, start, need to start is where the definitions. But so it's not really or the best way to go about it is trying to understand what each person, each side means about it. Mm -hmm. And I think this was a book I read a while ago that, helped me clarify that thinking a lot. It was J.S. Packer's famous book, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. And he starts off chapter one like this. 
I do not intend to spend in, in you, you well, well, quant, uh, context. You think he's about to start talking about sovereignty of God and evangelism. You're thinking he's about to start. All right, I'm going to show you all why he's mm. sovereign. But he, this is how he starts it off. I do not intend to spend any time at all proving to you the general truth that God is sovereign in, in his world. There is no need for I know that for I know that if you are a Christian, you believe this already. How do I know that? Because I know that if you are a Christian, you pray and the recognition of God's sovereignty is the basis of your prayers. In prayer, you ask for things and give thanks for things. Why? Because you recognize that God is the author and source of all the good that you already have and all the good that you hope for in the future. So what he's basically saying is, I'm not going to try and prove to you God's sovereign. You already, you already know it inherently. So even if you, I think he has in mind people here that would say, yeah, God's sovereign, but no, he's not in control of all the little things. But he's saying, well, I think you already um, inherently or in your in your heart know that, even if you don't want to admit it or see it like that. But you live as if you as if he is completely sovereign because you're praying for someone else's salvation. Mm-hmm. As if you understand that God is capable to grant that salvation, you're mm-hmm. praying for something good in the future. As if you believe that he's capable to grant that in the future. So you are you you really do think he's sovereign, even if you don't want to relinquish the reins completely to that. You already do believe it, or not think through all the implications mm-hmm. of what that would mean. Just kind of mm-hmm. choose to remain ignorant on it. Yeah. So that. Yeah, that's, that's a very excellent point. That, that is very good because, I mean, it's like you said, if how many people pray for those different things? Well, that shows you there that a lot of people, I mean, how many mothers pray for the salvation of their children? Mm-hmm. Well, you must believe God is sovereign if you if you think he's going to bring that about, right? Mm-hmm. And and But the main emphasis, I believe, that we hear in objections to this is when it comes to evil, right? Yeah. Well, what about evil? So you're saying God causes evil? Is, is, that, is that what's going on? Is he, is he evil then? What's the answer to that? Yeah, I think we, you know, this is the, and this is what I hear all the time from my atheist friends. This is the big, um, lots of people think it's the big problem with Christianity is, is, pre- is presented as the problem of evil in philosophy. They, they give three statements about it. You know, one is evil exists. And I don't think most people don't deny that, you know, almost everybody you come in contact with will say, yeah, there's evil in the world. So then the second point is if God can't, or can God eliminate that evil? If he can, then why doesn't he? If he can't, then he's not all powerful. So, so that's point one: is evil exists. Point two is God. If God's all powerful, he can eliminate it. And then point three is if God or does God want to eliminate it? If he if he doesn't want to eliminate it, then he's not all good. If he does want to eliminate it, then why doesn't he? Since he's all powerful, mm. just kind of like a three point combo there, like mm. a sermon. Yeah, <laughs> they're missing two. But yeah. I just got to throw some RC Sproul in right here. R.C. Spola. <laughs> he said, <laughs> he said, people ask, why do bad things happen to good people? He said, that only happened once and they crucified him. Mm-hmm. There you go. Close it down. Turn out the lights. <laughs> See, I think there's a you know, debate over whether or not this whole problem of evil is a, is it legitimate or is it not? Is it really the Achilles heel of Christianity? Mm-hmm. But I think that, you know, there's a, there's a flaw inherently in one of the, in one of the clauses there is, if God doesn't want to eliminate evil, then he isn't all good. I think there's a there's an assumption there that's not proven. That does God want to eliminate all that evil? Or does he want to eliminate it right now? Mm-hmm. And if he's not, then he's not all good. They're, so they're saying there's the existence of evil and a good God are fundamentally incompatible. And we don't grant that. That's a There's an assumption on their, on their part that has not been proven. They're assuming that the evil yeah. can't bring about good. Right. Say so what, what it is, God didn't want robots. Mm-hmm. 
I think there's a scripture there, Will. You want to throw at the bottom? Oh, Isaiah 45, yeah. 7. Uh, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. And just a FYI, I guess, we, we did some research on this beforehand. <laughs> but, but the Public service. The, the, the I make well-being and create calamity, like the, the literal Hebrew words for that is I make peace and evil. Mm -hmm. it's, it's just a flat-out word for evil that's used everywhere else. Uh, and that's, I mean, it's just kind of a flat out statement. <laughs> Stuff we, can, we kind of make us real. Yeah. Proverbs, uh, 16 and four says the Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. So, I mean, is God evil? No, he created beings that, that are evil. <laughs> he created beings. But that's the Old Testament. Yeah, oh, that's Old Testament. That's Old Testament. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a, there's a qualification needs to be made that we do not yeah. believe God is the author of evil. No. Yeah, no, no. And you know, all of our confessions require that. So you know, any Orthodox Reformed person does not believe God is the author of evil, mm. in in that sense that the challenge that is. is trying to make there. Yeah. So, but but we don't. Nor do we believe that God is out of control. You know, that that's, right. that the evil that occurs is outside of God's control. That's right. We just so believe that God can handle the evil without right. dirtying his hands. Well, we talked earlier about Joseph and his brothers. The the actions that those brothers did were evil. Selling your brother, you know, lying, all of that stuff was evil. But God purposed it, you know, in uh, in his decree. He, he allowed it to continue on. And I just kind of top of my head, I remember um, in Genesis, I think it's around 45, I could be wrong, but... Um, Abraham, his wife is taken, and then the king finds out his wife, and he mm. says, and, and the the Lord, or the angel of the Lord, comes to him in a dream or whatever and says, what is this you've done? He's like, hey, I didn't touch her, I swear. And the Lord's like, of course you right, didn't I touch her because I kept you from doing it. <laughs> but, on the, right, but on the other hand, David, same action, he didn't stop it. You know, He stopped uh, Abimelech, I think was his name. He stopped him from, uh, you know, in the seed in the seed line or whatever, but he stopped that, but he didn't stop Dave from doing it. So I like how you envision him talking to the angel like, hey, I didn't touch <laughs> that's you. That's what he says. <laughs> in the Hebrew, you know. That's how Lee would respond. So going back to your your R. C. Sproul quote there where it said that, you know, the you know, the one person that was good, right, we crucified him. In the book of Acts we see where God's purpose comes about when we see uh, Acts four, twenty seven through twenty eight says, for truly in this city were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your, your plan had predestined to take place. Exactly right. And he's, and he's talking about the crucifixion of Christ there. So God predestined for the... the, the All of those evil actions yeah, that the, took place, that gambling... Uh, murder, lying, whatever it may be, you know. Right. His plan of redemption, yeah, deemed it necessary Include, for that to happen. Right. Yes. So yeah, if you're gonna say, if you're if you're gonna oppose the view that we're of our of God's sovereignty that we're given, you have to explain how God. If you're saying that God has He doesn't predestine the evil that took place, then mm. you you got some gymnastics to do there with yeah Him just saying that He did predestine it to take place. Sure. And I said that quote while ago thinking we could segue into that point, but we went on yeah, a long, that was my, that was my <laughs> long way around. As usual. As usual. That's why I said, going back to your quote. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
And then you see verses, uh, let's see, like Acts 2, 23. So this man delivered over by the uh, predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God that you nailed to the cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. So you have sinners, the godless men, who are mm -hmm. doing the evil because they want to do it for their own reasons. But yet God is the one who predestined the whole thing to take place yeah. according to his plan, which was for good. I don't think anybody can argue that mm -hmm. it wasn't for good. I mean, that's the only reason we yeah. have salvation. That's it. And there's an idea that we don't have to stay on this too long, but I think we should deal with it. There's an idea that God looked ahead and saw things that were going to happen. And I just got to say that's nowhere in Scripture. It's not found, not based on on the Bible, that idea that God looked ahead and saw different things or whatever. Yeah, because, I mean, that would fundamentally be a – it separate. It, it requires God looking ahead as if He has to look ahead yeah. to to learn. To exactly right. It separates yeah. you know His omniscience, for him His all knowingness mm -hmm. from the beginning. So there, he, he couldn't have, he couldn't have predestined you know, with all the knowledge if he had to predestine it and it take place and he'd look ahead and see what was going to happen and right. then come back and come up with a purpose. And in a way, that puts creation almost on the same level as God because yeah. it can just yeah. go about its own business. Mm -hmm. And God has to catch up with it to figure out what it's doing. Yeah. So it makes God right. reactionary. Yeah. 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 Which is why it's so critical to keep these God, understanding of God's attributes all tied together and essential to his character mm -hmm. to keep them all in the right perspective. And back to the aseity, uh, he's got everything in himself. He's fully self-sufficient mm -hmm. already. So there's a good quote by Bavnik. Bav how do you say it, Bavnik? Herman Bavink. I can never say those <laughs> hard names, right? <laughs> Is that German? Was he German? Dutch. 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 Okay. Yeah. So from his uh, dogmatics, it says, uh, though evil is ever so much under God's control, it cannot in the same sense and in the same way be the object of his will as the good. So God ordains and is in control of good and evil, yet he directly controls the good and indirectly controls the evil. Yeah. Right. So um, there is a little bit more of a separation between his, you know, him, him in control with the evil and him in control of the good. You know, so he, he may directly perform good acts. He does not directly perform evil. He's not the author of good and evil in the same sense and in the same way. Yeah. This is kind of on a um, rabbit trail, but his, omnipresence um he can he's all places at all times even where evil actions are taking place but he's not um persuaded by those acts or you know those actions or activities yeah so the next big question now that we've kind of tackled evil there is when it comes to salvation this is the the main argument within the church itself i believe as far as god's sovereignty in salvation so what's some of the uh, what's the main emphasis here? That, that yeah. So the big challenge is just that okay, if, if God you know is, is in control of everything, then why why doesn't He choose everybody for salvation? Why are there some people? Why is anybody lost if God's in, fully in control of everything? Why? <laughs> why, Lee? <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, we don't have enough time today, but <laughs> all right, guys. <laughs> all right, so yeah. going back to Ephesians one. So the main, I think we could um. We could contrast the two main views, either um, God predestined for salvation or he provided for salvation. Is that fair? And then people can choose him. That's the two contrasting views on, on a very 30,000-foot level. Yeah, and there's the – I don't know. We have to get into a talk of God's justice and mercy at the same time. That's right. This could um, be going on forever. And so. 
what you know what the issue with man is because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. totally different uh the word is just slipping on you got you got to start with god's holiness and man's sinfulness before you ever reach uh the point of salvation you got to start anthropology anthropology what i was trying to say (laughs) all right so back to ephesians 1 verse 3 through 7 i'm gonna read that it says uh, blessed be the god the father of our lord jesus christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in christ just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him in love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, mm-hmm. which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Amen. So I guess the summary of God's sovereignty and salvation would with tying in like, especially like Ephesians two is that we're dead in our sins. Right. So if, if everyone is dead in their sins and no one is seeking after God, then how come some people are saved and some people aren't like, mm-hmm. what's, what is the deal? And ultimately, you know, Ephesians one, Romans nine passages like that tell us that in our deadness in sin, in our condemnation, because of our sin, God chose certain individuals for salvation in Christ and passed over other individuals, you know, not in a sense that like he picked some that deserved or, right. or he's trying to pick the best for his team. But no. according to his good pleasure, he has elected individuals for salvation and passed over others to leave them in their sin. Right. So we all, we all deserve hell. That's right? right. It's like everybody's going to hell. That's the start. In his mercy and in his grace, he has chosen some to to spare from the wrath of God. And, and you mentioned Ephesians and Romans, but way before Paul started writing, the book of John had the biggest impact on me in my thing, six, seven, eight, ten. Yeah. Uh, I mean, powerful from and, and not not trying to elevate the red letters or nothing, but powerful scriptures from Jesus himself declaring his deity and, and showing the father's hand in salvation and all that is, is had a big impact. On no me. one can come to the father. Yes, yeah. he's drawn. Right. So, you know, connecting this to the sovereignty and his, you know, decrees and purposes and character that we've talked about before is, you know, Romans 9 is kind of the go to mm-hmm. this. So, I'm going to read verses 14 through 18. And, and just, just give it just read it off. The little, <laughs> little bit of context <laughs> is the whole, the whole book. Paul has just said, giving back, going back to um, Jacob and Esau in the, in the Old Testament, he, he's just said, Jacob, I loved Esau, I hated. And so then he's, um, Looking ahead, I think Paul's done this before. Anybody who is a card-carrying Calvinist and and had this conversation knows what comes next. After you say God loves someone, he didn't love the other. He said, that's not fair. (laughs) So then this is Paul's response as he anticipates the objection. What shall we say then? Is there any injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So, that, so then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. And so that's his response to someone saying that's not fair, is that, yes, it is. It's God's 
prerogative. As God, he has the right to pick and choose what he does and whom he shows mercy to and withhold that mercy from whom he does. Yeah. And to say that's not fair is a, is a fundamental misunderstanding of fairness. Fairness is given all what they deserve or mm-hmm. given all equally. Um, to, to, to be fair is God's right to be fair. There's no we, we don't have a demand on God for mercy. Right. He's fair to give mercy to some and not to other. Yeah. If, if, if what would be fair is we all go to hell. Right. We're all sinners. Definitions. Yeah. And we see that the, the idea of this election or predestination, you know, all throughout the Old Testament. Like you just look at like Abraham. Why did God right. why why is Abraham at the center of the story instead of Joe down the street? Right. Like right. what nothing set him apart as special or anything. You know, God mm-hmm. chose him to work through him. Like what is special about Isaac over Ish Ishmael mm-hmm. is special over Jacob. Esau. You know, you can go all the way through the Old Testament. You know, what's yeah, and if you want to withhold that uh, purpose or that um, right of God to pick and choose, and you have to, you know, you got to explain how God, how Israel is God's chosen people, right. or at least they were, mm-hmm. because you know He chose Israel. He didn't choose Babylon. He didn't choose China. Yeah, you know, right. he, he, this is throughout Scripture. You got a lot more gymnastics to do than just this one verse of Romans. Mm-hmm. So does that make us all robots? Yes. Does free will <laughs> exist? <laughs> no, no. Does free will exist then? Just. That was kind of a joke about the robots, ah, but robot. yeah, <laughs> but um, but honestly, and I should have had this verse, but y'all probably remember, Paul says, um, it's a gift of God, uh, because we would boast about it. That's kind of a paraphrase, and when that really started to um, illumine, or however you want to say, illuminate in in my mind that if we, if I, if I had as a sinful man if i had a part in my salvation somewhere down the road i would brag about it even if it was at the very end standing before god i would say man god thank you for saving me i'm glad i could hold on i'm glad i held out yeah. somewhere in our simple heart hey, that god pride, i do yeah that pride <laughs> would come about and the robot thing is you know people people out like that's you know crazy or whatever but seeing that i was lost and dead in my sins and had no options um, I, I don't have a big problem with being a, a saved robot. I'm fine with that because <laughs> well, I'm know, on my way now. I like how Sproul put it, going back to Sproul again. Yeah. Uh, he says, absolutely, we have free will. We yeah. can make little choices. We can do the things. We, we, But the thing is, we do not have the will to save ourselves. That's right. And that, that we are incapable of doing so because we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are we are at the point that we cannot save ourselves. So, therefore, it is by grace through faith. Right. And it goes back to Ezekiel where it, it says that God will take the heart of stone out of, right. out of us and replace it with a heart of flesh, mm-hmm. thus giving us the ability to have faith. So therefore it isn't that it isn't that we don't have uh free will in that capacity. It's the sense that how you view free, right. how you do it, free. Right. We're we a slave to, to yeah. a sin with that heart of stone. That's that right. And then when God regenerates us, he removes that heart of stone. Right. With the heart of flesh, that makes us a slave to Him. Right. In a sense, it's, it and is now beforehand, I didn't have the the capacity to do good. Right. Now I do have the capacity. Now to your do will good. is freed. Right. To, to have God. faith to in obey. God. You know that's and that's that's a important. That to me, that just really clicked with me when I heard yeah. that when I was battling through this myself. That's um. I think it was Spro I heard says that we are volitional uh, creatures, meaning we make decisions. But to to compare um, choosing what color tired to wear on Sunday morning to saving yourself is in two different stratospheres. You know what I mean? It's mm. completely different. Choosing what, uh, which brand of tennis shoes you want to buy. So 
Right. Yeah. So it's the, what we would believe is prom, co- prominently called ca- compatibilism, you know, it's primary and secondary causes. There's a distinction made between a primary, which is the first cause and then other causes that follow in the wake of that both ordained in by, or both ordained under control by God, but it's the doctrine of secondary causes is generally it's just that God's will is the first primary cause. And then the acts by mankind, the, cho- the cho- choices we make are real, true choices we do make. And we're not forced to make any of them is, but it's a secondary cause mm-hmm. in the sense that it's, it comes after God's primary. Um, God is the primary cause and our choices are a secondary cause. They work together, but there's ultimately behind our, our choices and our choosing is the decrees, the purposes of God. Mm-hmm. And so some, some ways that this helps us when you know we could go on for hours about this yes. really we could there's been volumes of books written mm-hmm. on this subject and we would encourage you i will provide some links to some good books for you to read and check out um but just know a good understanding a proper understanding a biblical understanding of god's sovereignty brings about comfort for the christian as we face difficult times like right now there's a lot of difficulties going on in the world mm-hmm. there's still christians being beheaded in parts of the world yeah there's christians you know, with everything going on that's hadn't worked in a year, uh, mm-hmm. can't worship together in, in places like Canada. Churches, like yeah, being, churches being closed up. down. There's still trials and tribulations, right? We're promised that. But God being in control gives us that comfort and reassurance of those things. Um, what's some other applications we can see right fast, guys? Yeah, I think just like Lee said, you know, it opposes that self-reliance that we have yeah. in our own salvation. You know, if the bigger view we have of God, the the smaller view we have of our right. own part that, we, that takes place in being saved. You know, mm-hmm. all Christians would say, yeah, he, he saved me. I didn't save myself. But when you get into the weeds of it, it mm-hmm. almost does it like you, you know, a lot of Christians believe they did have some part to play in it. Oh but, yeah. You know, God's sovereignty writ large in our lives shows that, yeah, he did it all. He just yanked me out of my sin while I was sitting there enjoying it. And it also <laughs> keeps us from having a, a humanized vision or vision of God and, you know, yeah. what, what he looks like from a human perspective rather than, you know, taking him at his word. Mm. Yeah, that's it. Mm-hmm. It changes how we view history. It, right. it changes um, really when we understand the God we do serve. Yeah. I mean, that to me, that's a big aspect there is that he's not just some magic genie right. in a bottle that we just, you know, make our demands of this. So we understand that, you know, if the answer is no, then it's in his sovereign plan. That's right. You know what I'm saying? That's, you can take his promises and be confident in yeah. being obedient in those promises and know that he's going to accomplish those things. Mm-hmm. That's it. All right, guys, well, we hope you enjoyed this conversation. Um, you know, like I said, we could have gone on for hours and hours and hours on this, but uh, for time's sake, we're rounding it up now. We'll provide some links and some things for you to study deeper into this. We rec- make some book recommendations as well, but until next time, I'm John Pruitt. Lee College. Clay Garrison. Well, Lord, continue to read those Bibles.